who are you having for Thanksgiving dinner? That was more than an idle question when I was growing up, because in my house, my mother always invited for Thanksgiving and on other occasions as well, but always Thanksgiving. People from outside our family and often people that we hardly knew, or at least that I often did not know. And you never knew. I never knew who was all going to be there. My mother didn't mind overstepping the, the table and setting up a card table. And I often ended up at the card table. But it was all good. And one year I remember questioning this practice. And saying, hey mom, would it be okay this year if it was just us? And I'll never forget her answer. She smiled and she said, well, I'm glad you like our family. I'm glad you like to be with us. But then she said, Fred, I need to explain something. These people that I'm inviting are my friends. And some of them have needs. My mother would always, if any older person in our church lost a spouse that year, they would always be at our Thanksgiving dinner if they didn't have other family. And she explained that we could help lift the loneliness and the sorrow of a holiday and include them. And then she said, and it's good for us to do that. It's good for us to want to reach out to some others at a great day like this. And then she said, and Fred, God's family is bigger than our family. And anyone in God's family is always welcome at our table. And she ended by saying, and I'll never forget this, Fred, at our table, there will always be a seat for someone else. Wow, I had no idea this was going to get into my space like that. But that's more than a mother's heart. There's something very godly about that. And it is exactly for that that God gave the last two books of the Bible. Second John and Third John. Because how many places we set at our table has everything to do with how much God has a hold on our lives. Uh, Turn with me in your Bibles. I always love the sound of opening Bibles. It's one of my favorite sounds. How many of you believe the Bible? Amen. 
I knew you did, but it's good to say it once in a while. It's good to elevate the Word of God. We come this morning to two books in the Bible I've never preached on. I never thought I should. It's terrible. No, I mean, I knew I should. I mean, theory is one thing, practice is another sometimes. So what I love about our studies through every book of the Bible, give us the whole thing. At least for, you know, these 18 months, we're working our way through the whole thing. Second John is the second to the last book written in the Bible. The last book is Third John. And they may have been written on the same day. So it's kind of like asking twins, who's, who's the oldest? Well, him by ten seconds. Him by three minutes. They were probably written on a single piece of papyrus. Each of them. Papyrus was the early paper. It was woven. Some of us grow papyrus. I've seen papyrus in yards around Lilburn. And it's crushed reed that's then woven together. It was the original paper. He wrote Second John. Then he got another piece of papyrus and wrote Third John. It may have been done on the same day. Probably about 96 A.D. So this is 60 years after Jesus died and rose from the dead. 60 years. All the other New Testament books have already been written, including the book of Revelation. And when you come to these two books, you can almost wonder, what's the big deal? Couldn't you have ended with 64 books in the Bible? What was the big deal about 2 John and 3 John? Now, 2 John was written to the public. The church is referred to as the lady, the precious lady. It's an unusual way to refer to the church. It's the only place in the Bible that it's done. But it's refer, he's writing it to the church at large. Third John is written to an individual. Gaius is his name. John's friend. But both were written on the same subject of hospitality. Opening our homes to include strangers, people we don't know even all that well. Why was that so important? Now, we're going to dig in, but I just want to explain this up front so you don't check out. The church in the first century was not a place you went to. It was what happened when you had a few Christian friends over to your home. That was church. So how they filtered those that came to church is what 2nd and 3rd John are all about. And if it wasn't done well, there would be some real problems in the health of the infrastructure of the church. Now I just want to say right now, I believe 2nd and 3rd John is critical for the health of Lilburn Alliance Church. If any church needed to be exhorted, 
to set a place at the table for somebody outside the family who's different than us, it's Lilburn Alliance Church. With a church with people born in 52 different lands. If we don't start having people to our table who are different than us, we're going to become a bunch of isolated individuals that all come on Sunday, but who don't have that network of love and relationship, of respect, of overlapping life with life. That's what's at stake here. This is a big deal. And just like as a little kid, I had this thing about, I didn't, this one year, Mom, can't it just be us? We all have a little kid inside that says, can't it just be us? And yes, there, there are times for us. Of course, uh, as individuals, we need our space. As, as married couples, they need time just for themselves. But all of us, whether individuals or married or with family configurations, there's a time frequently when we need to go beyond and set a place for someone outside our little nuclear group. And what I learned that day from my mother was that my kitchen table wasn't mine. It was God's. My dining room table wasn't mine. It was God's. He had the right to bring in to my family, to my home, and assign to us whoever He wanted. Doesn't that feel like God to you? I was going to save this as the punchline at the end, but I, I need to just say it now. You know why? And you know why these were the last two books written? Because there's going to be a gathering when we eat our last meal here. There's a meal that's coming. It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And there's going to be more place settings than you've ever seen in your life. You know why? Because God's got a big family. It's bigger than any one of our families. Imagine the biggest banquet hall you've ever seen. Imagine the largest table, the largest dinner table you've ever seen with extension and leaves and extensions and extensions like those big ones in London or, or wherever. Imagine that going on and on. Imagine the biggest one you can possibly think of and the biggest banquet hall you could possibly imagine with marble columns and, and, and white napkins and, and the finest china and silverware and goblets and it's just going on and on. Imagine it going on as long as you can and multiply that by a thousand and you're only getting started. That's the next banquet we have to look forward to.
And God set a place for me there, and He set a place for you. And you're going to meet some new people there. From all walks of life. There'll be some royalty and some not so royalty. There'll be Asians and Middle Easterners and Africans, Latin Americans. You see that? Is it any wonder why God tells us set a place for somebody else at your table? It's reflecting the way He is. This is the way God is. No, that day my mother, when I said, can it just be us? I discovered my mother has a bigger us than I do. And my us got bigger. And the fact of the matter is, when you consider the banquet supper of the Lamb, you realize that God's us is huge. And God keeps kicking out the walls. And what my mother said is such a beautiful thing. Fred, there will always be Room for someone else at our table. Is that in you? Would you let God put that in you? That there'll always be room for someone else at your table. Now, some of us are um, very reluctant to have anyone into our home. Let me just say, take them to Denny's. It's okay. You can take them out. Doesn't have to be in your, in the home if, if that's a, a, a huge hurdle. But the point is still there. Now, second John, it's an easy outline. Verses 4 to 6 is the command to love. But we discover in those verses that the issue is to what kind of love are we talking about here. And when it's expressed to God, it's not just a sentiment or emotion, it's obedience. And when it comes to people, it's with truth. You gotta speak the truth in love. And what that does immediately toward people is it exposes the myth of our day that the highest virtue is tolerance. The highest virtue is not tolerance. Tolerance is actually a perversion of the truth. Tolerance would say we need to lay our values aside and just accept everyone as they are and lay morals aside or doctrine aside. And that is not love. It's no more loving than 
going to the refrigerator and pouring someone some sour milk and say, here, drink this. Now, if the milk is sour, it's not loving to give them just to give them milk. Or if they're thirsty, to fill their glass with gasoline and say, here, drink this. That's not loving. Oh, well, I'm giving you something to drink. Well, that's not loving. We're living in a day when we're serving up sour milk and gasoline and calling it love. Now, the second half of 2 John, verses 7 to 11 give the first principle of hospitality. And it's the principle of exclusion. There are some not to have into our homes. And verse 7 says, watch out, there are some deceivers. There are many deceivers. There are many who are teaching heresy. And it goes on to explain, do not allow people who are teaching heresy to come into your homes and sit at your table or they will destroy the church. That's the whole summary of Second John is to love truthfully and to use truth as a filter. Now, this is not at all suggesting that we don't have unbelievers into our homes. We should have unbelievers into our homes. God forbid if we, if we don't allow the, the, the town drunk to come into our homes sometimes. If they can't come in our home, what hope is there for them? 1 Corinthians chapter 5 very explicitly says, I wrote to you in my former letter not to associate with immoral people, not at all meaning the immoral of this world. Because that would mean you'd have to get out of this world. We're supposed to associate with the immoral of this world. What I meant, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, is not to associate with anyone who calls himself brother, but is sexually immoral or a liar or a deceiver. Not even to eat with such a person. Our problem in the church these days is that we exclude the unbelievers and we we open the door to anyone who calls himself brother, even those that are immoral, and we're all going down the tubes. We've got it all backwards. We ought to spend a lot more time opening our doors to unsaved neighbors and pre-Christians and unchurched neighbors. But the ones we need to watch out for are those who are either doctrinally distorted or morally distorted without ever confronting them, welcoming them at the table as if we have fellowship with them, when in reality we do not have fellowship with people who call themselves Christians and are doctrinally deceived or morally deceived. We need to love them enough to confront them doctrinally or confront them morally and call them to repentance, and then we'd be glad to welcome them back into fellowship. This has everything to do with the immunity system of the church. It's called church discipline. It's called discernment. 
God make us intolerant of Christians who teach heresy that we would be lovingly intolerant enough to speak the truth in love. And the same with the morally deceived. Then we come to 3 John. 3 John also has two parts. It begins with Gaius as this great example of hospitality. Gaius was a man who loved others, who gave himself to others, who, who cared generously for others. And, and John commends his hospitality, even though they are strangers. And verse 6 The church has told us about your love. You do well to send them on our way in a a, send them on their way in a way that's honoring and worthy of the Lord. What he's saying is, don't just let those Christians from out of town stay in your house, feed them well, and put something in their pocket to pay for their next meal. Send them on their way in a way that's worthy. Then the book ends with two examples. The first negative and the second positive. The negative one is Diotrephes. Man, am I glad I'm not Diotrephes. Could you imagine the last book in the Bible, the last words, your name is mentioned in a negative way? How would you like this as your epitaph? Who loved to be first. Wow. Diotrephes on his gravestone. He loved to be first. Now, the reason he's ridiculed is not just because he loved to be first, but it says he refused to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to welcome the brothers. In fact, anyone who welcomes the brothers, he puts them out of the church. Now, can you imagine being such a self-centered person that you not only don't have anyone else to your table, but you throw people out of the church who do have people at their table? I mean, John had to call this guy out. But fortunately, it doesn't end on a down note. It ends on a high note. Demetrius. Demetrius loved truthfully. And he was a positive example of hospitality. Now, 2 John gives a principle of hospitality. 3 John gives a principle of hospitality. The first principle is the principle of exclusion. The second principle is the principle of inclusion. You might say, now which is it? Are we to be exclusive or are we to be inclusive? These sound like categorical opposites. Open your home, don't open your home. Don't have people at the table, have people at the table. Well, come on, which is it? It's no more contradictory than saying, don't drink the milk, drink the milk. The one milk you're referring to is the jug that's sour and the other one that's fresh. Don't drink the milk, drink the milk. 
Don't show hospitality, show hospitality. Don't show hospitality to those who call themselves brothers but are not walking in the truth. Confront them first. But show hospitality. So second and third John is the negative and then the positive. To end on the positive note, that what we're about as the church of God is that we are the people that show hospitality. We're the people who have another seat at the table. We're the people who love strangers and have people that are very different than us eat at table with us. May God make Lilburn Alliance Church that kind of a church. Amen.